You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. And follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets, at Walker Mayo, at Doug Branson, LOH. And as always, you can follow our next guest, Rick Bennell from the Charlotte Observer on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, thanks so much for the time. How are you? I'm terrific, guys. I hope you are, too. Yeah, we're doing well, Rick. We appreciate you coming on once again. And it's a common theme, and it has been during the pandemic, when especially we found out that the Hornets were not going to be a part of the 22 restart plan. Now the question had shifted from, are they going to be included, to what kind of competitive basketball are they going to get? Well, we keep getting further and further out, and we just don't have an answer yet because the NBA is looking at a bunch of other different things. But you did work on a piece, Rick, uh, talking about the NBA and the Players Association trying to figure out the competitive way that they can start to play basketball. But the union exec, uh, executive director, Michelle Roberts, said that she wouldn't agree to any return to play that doesn't have the same guarantees of safety and health that the NBA will enforce in the Orlando bubble. Oh, <laughs> Are, are we really looking at a possibility where the Hornets truly will not have practice or any kind of competitive, uh, comp- any kind of competitive basketball until the next season starts? Like, what what is the likelihood of that happening? Yes, that is a possibility, and I've got to tell you, it's chilling to both the Hornets and the other seven teams involved. Um, fairness, in fairness, guys, I think this is a triage problem. Um, you know, they've got a million and one things to worry about to get Orlando even started, much less ride it to, to a championship. And I get that, you know what I'm saying is the long, the long to do list. I can certainly see what are we going to do about these other eight teams is way down that list. But it was interesting when I got a call into, I mean, I got a question into the media conference call last Friday and said, you know, there's so much concern among the eight teams not going to Orlando about, you know, some kind of competitive balance issue. Are you receptive doing something about this? And, and Michelle Roberts was the first of two people to answer that question. And she made it clear that in her mind, anything short of everything that's being done in Orlando, um, anything short of that is a non-starter to quote her. It's a standard that's got to be met. And if it's not met, next question, as far as I'm concerned. And Mark Tatum, the deputy commissioner um, of the league, you know, echoed her statements. Quote, I couldn't agree more with Michelle um, that we want the same standard to be met. And there have been conversations. um, Now, guys, they understand there's a problem here. How that problem gets addressed um, if they do nothing, if they allow practices, if they allow the creation of some sort of mini league, which if it has to be as airtight as Orlando's going to be, I wonder if that's prohibitively expensive. I feel like, you know, I feel like this is kind of a big deal. 
Yeah. Is there a middle ground, Rick? And should we even consider a middle ground because of the way that COVID-19 has infiltrated our world? Like, should we should we maybe think about, OK, practice seems pretty reasonable. Is there something where they should be maybe having joint practices with other teams or is just a practice with, you know, it, it's themselves on the roster, maybe with some kind of expanded? I, I don't know. Like, oh, is there is there is there something that you would like with the Hornets, uh, uh, something that could be implemented that the Hornets could be a part of? Walker, I'm glad you posed the question that way because um, not you know all eight general managers and co- and coaches want something. Um, how much they expect the league to accommodate them, I think, varies more. Uh, if you remember the comments that James Borrego said when they had their end of season um, media access, he said that it, he felt it was crucially important that they at least be allowed to do some practicing um, in a time frame comparable to, you know, the, the practices that teams are going to be allowed to do, you know, in, in Orlando before the restart. Um, different general managers. Uh, I've heard Atlanta and Cleveland are, are two franchises that are advocating hard for this. Want, truly want something more. They want to figure out some way to create a mini league. Um, I do think it's important in this situation to appreciate the idea that sometimes perfect is the enemy of good. Doing nothing strikes me as re, you know as unfair. Um, that does not mean that they're ever going to get to a point where they do whatever they have to do to create a full-on thing that involves you know housing 18 somewhere. Rick, we were talking um, just about some of the ways that the Hornets could use the cap space and exactly what they might do this off season, even if they are going to get some cap space, exactly how much they would use it. And then just looking into some trades, I found it interesting that Bobby Marks mentioned moving off of Nick Batum really for anything, just find a way to get that expiring contract and turn it into some assets what is Cody Zeller's trade value in your opinion? Is this a guy with, with the contract that he has in place that you do think would bring in some pretty decent return to the team? Yeah, I think Cody's uh, skill set um, is an asset to most everybody um, in the league. I'm not saying that he would like, you know, bring a treasure trove, but I think, I think Cody is somebody who either is a starter or a reserve. And obviously he demonstrated um, this past season, he's effective in both and does not ha- is not caught up in the idea that he has to be a starter. If I were a contender, I'd be real interested in in the last season of, of Cody's contract. That makes perfect sense. Guys, I got to tell you, you, you brought up Nick Batum. Um, Doug, I heard you say this uh, a week or two ago. I oh think boy. they need to be wary. I think they need to be wary, frankly, about what they would have to do to make um, make numbers work to trade Nick. I think they would need a really good reason to do that rather than just let that contract naturally fall off the books in a year. Yeah, I mean it would have to it would have to include some uh, some assets, you know, in terms of draft picks that would make it worth it to to bring on whatever bad contracts they would have to sustain. I mean, I'm just I, I just think that they work so hard 
to finally getting get out of cap jail that they just need to be super careful about um, putting themselves back in that box. No, and and honestly, I agree with you. I mean, they're going they're going to have to be extra careful about the decisions that they make, knowing that that it will have ripple effects over the next couple of years, and with all of the uncertainty in terms of BRI and cap space and and things. It's just, I mean, I wouldn't want to be an NBA GM right now. It seems like a very it's going to be a very difficult <laughs> job and a lot of guesswork, to be perfectly honest. Um, and and really. I mean, we could talk about what what they would have to take back and what they would have to give up to to move that contract. I'm not sure that there's even going to be demand or ability to make it work with other teams. I'm not very confident that Nick Batum gets moved just because of the size of the deal. Well, when Doug, when you say that, I think it's a careful what you wish for thing. You know what I'm saying is I remember there were people saying, oh, they ought to be able to get something for Marvin Williams. And my reaction to that was, well, yeah, but, you know, is a second round pick um, worth taking back a contract that might extend beyond this season. You know, it's, it's the devil is in the detail with those kind of deals. We'll continue with Rick next segment, but first I wanted to say the locked on podcast network stands against racism and social injustice. That's why we, the host are making personal donations to local and national organizations that are fighting for change. And in the month of June, Locked On is matching the total of all host donations up to an additional $10,000. To make your own donation along with us, you can visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. Again, that's LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. We appreciate any donation you make. If you love the show, support the people who support this podcast like Blinkist. Uh, Blinkist is one of the most useful apps on my phone it's an ultimate life hack. It is my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. Blinkist is really unique. It works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways that need to know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. I got a lot of books that I want to read, especially a lot of nonfiction business philosophy kind of books. And, and I don't always have time to read all of them. That's why I use Blinkist uh, because uh, they help me out in that way. So with Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of, non of condensed nonfiction books. All of the books you want, one low price. Right now for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash NBA. Try it free for seven days. And you save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial. And you're going to save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA. More Rick Minnell coming up next. This is Locked on Hornets. Decoys all over the place. They've got everybody down at the rim. Ball goes into biz. They do like an XFL style where the wide receiver runs to the line of scrimmage, except it's with Devontae Graham. He picks up a foul. I don't care what you say, Nate McMillan. More like Nate McVillan. Get out of here. Quit whining about the officials. You got plenty of calls. The Hornets got a call at the end of the game. I thought it was fair. Hornets win. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Rick, I wanted to ask you one more Cody Zeller question before we moved off of the subject in regards to his trade value and the expectations for Cody. It seemed like this was the year that the first time for a long time, we got mostly healthy Cody Zeller throughout the entire season. Last year, I believe just playing something like 49 games played 58 of the, you know, close to 60, I guess that the Hornets actually did play this year. How much of that is still a concern to you regarding Cody Zeller and his future? 
think it will always be in the background of any discussion about Cody, but uh, in fairness to Cody, some of those things were unrelated freak injuries. Um, you know, he's got to be very physical in order to be effective, and he gets outweighed by an awful lot of people that he has to match up against. But I think the Cody's did himself an awful lot of good this season as far as, you know, like I said, uh, both – it's not just that he got through the season healthy and, and has a very healthy off season now without any rehab. It's also that he demonstrated that he is perfectly fine and perfectly effective being plugged into all kinds of different roles. Well, and I know that you talked a lot about the kind of system that Mitch Kupchak and James Borrego and the Charlotte Hornets had gone by this year as far as making sure they were doing a good job, you know, rehabilitating Cody Zeller and just making sure that he was trying to stay healthy. How much do you think, one, that helped Cody as well as just all the other guys that if you think about it, Hornets relatively stayed pretty healthy all year long? The two subtle changes that Mitch Kupchak made in the organization have both so far been a success. Um, he put more money into their medical team and specifically Cody brought this up to me beginning of last season. Um, they're doing a lot more now with preventative medicine and, you know, it, it, you know, I asked somebody in the organization, um, you know, wh why put money into that? And I thought the answer was really good. It's it's something where you might save yourself 10 player games a season. And it is it's one of the few things that isn't affected all by the salary cap. And obviously, the other thing that Mitch and, and, and JB um, were really into and it's become a bigger and bigger part of the organization is the development program. Um, hiring Nick Friedman, Friedman looks like a really sharp move now. Uh, you cannot, you know, the idea that both um, Martin Twins and Jalen McDaniels, um, you know, the, the extent to which those three guys got up to speed this season is a direct reflection of how much more attention um, they, they've put into Greensboro and the development project and how, and frankly, how effective that's been. Rick, Doug and I are going to have a discussion in the third segment regarding the mock draft that we have for the delete eight teams and James Wiseman and Devin Vassell are both still available. And that's a couple of the guys that we do like here on the podcast in regards to, I guess, the theme of, of just trading Cody Zeller and really trading any of the players on the team. I think that they would be probably more likely to trade a Cody Zeller, maybe if they were to get a big guy like James Wiseman. You know, Rick, how much do you think that would be a, a welcomed pick by you and others and um, just bringing in a kind of athletic rim running big man to this team? How badly does this team need that specific skill set? Um. I certainly wouldn't have any problem with the end result of, of, of the draft um, being that they get Wiseman, but I, you know, I think they should really explore the idea of trading up for Avjiva. You guys know that's the guy I've been really fascinated with for about three months now. So do you like the guy, the idea of a playmaking wing a little bit more than, than the, the defensive rim running big Rick? I mean, is playmaking on the wing. Is that something you think you would most rather get? I don't know if one's dramatically more important than the other. I just want to make, you know, in, in a perfect world. And by the way, I agree with, with Mitch that they're way too early in the process um, to be picky about what position they end up helping themselves at. But in a perfect world, um, I want, you know, that they would get a, a guy with, 
you know, with star potential um, at one of those two spots, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you have to you have to look really hard and really hopeful in this roster to see somebody who is the best player on a team that gets to you know gets to at least the second round of the playoffs. Rick, also one other thing I wanted to mention was something that you wrote this weekend. I know you put a piece out in the Charlotte Observer uh, speaking with Fred Whitfield, just kind of discussing the aspect of bringing bringing fans back into the arenas once we, uh, once we do, you know, maybe even get that sign. Maybe that does start to open up a little bit more. What were some of the things that Fred told you about how that might look different, how it might be temporary, how it might be permanent, uh, permanent as far as bringing fans back into the arenas to watch these sporting events? Well, obviously this is the top of mind for, you know, for everybody in the Charlotte sports community, you know, NASCAR, um, UNC Charlotte, I talked to Mike Hill about this, by the way, who who said that, you know, it's imperative that people take this mass thing seriously if they want to see college football this season. But I thought it was interesting how, you know, Fred had a special sense of urgency about this because he walked, you know, starting in March, you know, his, his concern was um, if the Republican National Convention, as it was scheduled, you know, if all those speeches are are at Spectrum Center, you know, what do they need to do to prepare the arena to maximize safety? And hopefully, you know, all those all that urgency gets reflected down the road and them being a little bit ahead of the curve in that regard. You know, guys, it's gonna, I mean, it's gonna be things like pathways to your seats and you know that they give you the choice to put apps on your phone that allow you to to order concessions and you know all those things are gonna are, they aren't gonna be optional now um your the, the idea is to aspire to contactless entry in the arena you will not see a, a ticket taker anymore um you're going to order food in advance you're not going to stand there in a line at, at a concession stand and I thought when I asked Fred I said give me a little detail that will that will illustrate how closely you're looking at this. And he said, condiments. He said, you know, those big pump bottles of ketchup and mustard, they're going to be history. He said, we are going to go. And he said, he said, we're looking at this, like every single thing, you little thing you need to do. And one of them is giving you a packet of ketchup and a packet of, of, um, of mustard. Cause you have no business, um, you know, putting your hands on, on big pump bottles anymore. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I mean, listen, this this COVID thing has thrown everybody for a loop. Everybody's playing catch up. <laughs> I can't, can't stand you. It's so bad. <laughs> Doug Branson coming in with the lame joke to end what was an otherwise uh, fantastic couple of segments with Rick Bennell from the Charlotte Handle out on Twitter as he releases some of that content. Uh, Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, thank you so much for the time. We always appreciate it. Sure thing, guys. You guys have a good day. Always appreciate Rick Bennell joining us on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. And we also appreciate Built Bar. Now it's time for you to appreciate and support Built Bar by tasting their bar, going to builtbar.com. They have real chocolate, amazing flavors, and it kind of tastes like a candy bar. It's also got great texture. You've heard us talk about it a bunch of times. It has an amazing combination of low calorie, high protein, and low sugar. Also, there's no crazy additives. If you compare it to the most popular men's bar, it's half the calories, seven times fewer carbs, and has seven times fewer the sugar grams. Also, it has a little bit more protein. How can it be that good for you and taste that good? You're just going to have to try it for yourself. You have to go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON to get $10 off of your first box at uh, www. 
com. Again, it's locked on. I don't care if you space it or you smush it together. Locked on. And then you get $10 off of your first box at www.builtbar.com. This is Locked on Hornets. Neither Miles Bridges or PJ Washington yeah, is an Anthony Tolliver. I'll tell you that much right now. Oh my God. <laughs> Anthony Tolliver. You say, this is your fault. You curse this. You curse the Hornets. You curse this show by disrespecting the name of Anthony Tolliver, and he had his revenge game against the Charlotte Hornets. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Thanks again to Rick real quickly, Doug, before we move into this debate or just kind of thing of us figuring out who the Hornets should take at number eight overall. Uh, It really is interesting to see how the possibilities are starting to dwindle down for the Hornets to play competitive basketball against another team or, and even practices in general, like it it did seem like they were really the NBA. It did seem like they did care about eight, these eight teams that were going to be on the outside looking in about what way we could try to give them, uh, you know, some form of basketball. And now, you know, they are worried about so many other things with all these spikes that are coming up in all these areas of the country, especially where the bubble is going to be in Orlando, you know, it just keeps getting pushed to the back burner where you're just not paying attention to it. And at the end of the day, I I just, there are a lot of things that go uh, against the logic of bringing a mini league and hopefully they're able to compromise somehow because I do think it is important for them to be able to pick up a basketball in a competitive environment before the start of next season. Despite all of the obvious evidence that there is a there is an upper class and a lower class to the the NBA, like there are clearly teams that are premier teams for the NBA and and teams that are not. The NBA tries to keep up an appearance that that is not the case, that all teams are created equally. And that just shows you how disruptive COVID has become, that it, it did create what is essentially a first class and a second class in in the NBA and and unfortunately the Hornets find themselves in that delete eight second class uh, but it, it's it's unfortunate but it is a reality uh, that the NBA is not they have no incentive to come out and make any promises to the delete eight teams before they find out how this thing in Orlando is going to go if anything goes wrong in Orlando I, I just think you can, you can't possibly think yeah. that that doing a delete eight tournament or you know mini league it, it makes sense in any way financially morally uh you know for the love of the game like none of it matters if things go wrong at all and or even if they finish in orlando but things were rough it was a rough landing that then there's no incentive to do that and i respect any team that is going to make that full push for that but they've got to look at compromising and i i think borrego mentioned something to the effect of like he just wants more time with his team. It wasn't mm-hmm. necessarily about mini league. I think the coaches see this, or at least most of the coaches, just want an equal amount of time with their team. And I think the NBA will find some way to make that happen. What's funny, Doug, is you you might see the two ends of the spectrum become affected most by the pandemic because on one end of the spectrum, you have the eight teams on the outside looking in that have a very real possibility of not playing real basketball for a very long time, something like 10 months. And on the other end of the spectrum where you get these elite championship contenders, let's just say you're talking to make it to the conference finals. Are they going to go so deep 
into a season before the start of the next season to where maybe, okay, they get their basketball in and they've had a rest, but does that affect what we might see from them in 2020 and 2021, or maybe even just the 2021 season. So that'll be interesting to me. Are the two teams are the two groups of teams at the opposite ends of the spectrum affected the most while the teams in the middle might have the best balance of rest as well as actually getting some playing time in actual next season starts. Yeah, I mean, the NBA is a microcosm of so many of the structures uh, that we've built um, in uh, not only the United States, but around the world that depend on major events not disrupting them like this. And the effects of this thing are going to reverberate in very complex ways. We're not going to be able to really identify, oh, well, that team's not playing well because of COVID. Or that team is actually playing. They had an advantage. And I just think that there are too many things that are going to happen between now and whenever we get back to some kind of normal um, to really associate one thing with another thing. It's just going to be, you know, things are going to be weird for years. It's not next season. It's, it's, it's multiple seasons after this uh, that when we historically look back on this 10, 15 years from now, we're going to go, yeah, I mean, that, that really disrupted the way things were for a long time. We discussed this uh, in the first mock draft that we did, the Delete 8 mock draft. We already had one, and we ended up with one Devin Vassell for the Charlotte Hornets plays for the Locked On Podcast Network, a second mock draft where I believe you used a shakeup on Tankathon to actually give us a different order. And where do the Hornets end up once again? Of course, we ended up with the eighth overall selection. It's just like the first mock draft that we did. So it's real life. That's what it means. If the Hornets could get the last possible spot, then that's exactly what it would be in real life. So Tank Tankathon, we know, is accurate in that. What can you tell us about mock draft 2.0 for the Delete 18 stuff? Yeah, in fact, not only were the Hornets, not only did the Hornets stay in the eighth slot, they were the only team not to move up or down. We were the only team to stay right where we were. Uh, so hopefully that's not an omen for August 25th in the draft lottery. Uh, honestly, I, I think that August 25th, the draft lottery, Walker, could be one of the most important days in the future of this franchise. Uh, I, I understand that this draft is weak. I understand that even if you get the number one pick, there's still going to be a lot of confusion about what player your franchise should take. Uh, but the Hornets in the next couple of seasons need something to click in the draft. I mean, they need some kind of fortune to befall them uh, after so many years of not having it happen. So I just really think that August 25th is so important and there's nothing the Hornets can do about it. I mean, it's all luck. It's all chance, right. I, you know, but I think it's still important. Uh, so, yes, the Hornets get the eighth pick. Uh, Atlanta selected LaMelo Ball. Chicago selected Anthony Edwards. Cleveland took Killian Hayes third. Minnesota took Obi Toppin fourth. Golden State took Tyrese Halliburton uh, fifth. Detroit took Onyeka Okungwu sixth. Seventh is uh, Rick Bennell's guy, Denny Avdia, went uh, to the Knicks at seven. We're going to do a crossover show late this week with the Knicks guys to talk about that pick. And our pick, number eight, Walker, thank you. You were so gracious to me to allow me to make this pick. I'm not going to go Vassell here. I'm going to go James Wiseman out of kind of Memphis with the eighth pick. Yeah, and so, again, we we had two mock drafts where both of these guys could have been available. The first mock draft, it was James Wiseman, who was selected at seven overall by the Bulls, who were slotted in that position in the first mock draft that we did. And you liked Devin Vassell enough to where you didn't have another guy you wanted to compete uh, against Vassell, so we just selected the Florida State product. 
here that scenario came true, Doug. It was Wiseman or Vassell. And here we get Wiseman after taking Vassell in the first mm-hmm. one. I, I don't hate this, right? Like I, I think Wiseman falling to eight, it's enough of a fall for him where we had seen him be a potential number one overall prospect at some point. If you were to select him eight, okay, I'm here for the upside. I'm scared. I'm going to be scared about a lot of these prospects. He probably scares me a little bit more than most because he didn't play a whole lot in college. It's not someone that you see, okay, he can be an offensive juggernaut in the league, at least in my opinion, but he possesses all of the tools, all of the things that you can't coach. And if he has decent basketball IQ, if it's somebody that it actually can click for in the NBA, then you know what kind of force that he could be. So if they walk away with James Wiseman as their first round pick, Doug, it's not something that I would be just be scared. It's not even one of these PJ Washington or Miles Bridges picks that I think of at the time where I think they took the safe route because because that's different than selecting James Wiseman. I'm just scared of it, even with uh, me realizing the kind of ceiling that Wiseman might bring to this Hornets roster. Yeah, and the potential that he has in terms of his measurables, six feet eleven without shoes, seven foot four wingspan. He's got a two hundred and forty-seven pound frame. Those were all measurements taken in Memphis's pro day. I mean, those are elite. I mean, those are measurements that don't come along uh all all, you know, every year. And and on top of that, in those uh in the very brief uh exhibition that we got from him before uh he left Memphis. Uh, he was showing off a level of athleticism that you would not associate with six foot eleven, two hundred and forty-seven pounds. It's just, I mean, he has a he has unique abilities, and we just didn't get an opportunity to see them on display over a long period of time. But that didn't stop Darius Garland from being selected as high as he did. And you might counter, well, Darius Garland didn't have a great year. Well, sometimes rookies don't have amazing first years, and you have to give them time to develop. Nobody's giving up on Darius Garland, and and I don't know if James Wiseman's going to come in and make an immediate impact, but I tell you what, if he falls to eight, I have no problem with the Hornets making that selection because he not only fills a need for the Charlotte Hornets in terms of rim protection. I mean, in that brief flash in Memphis, he was a great help side rim protector. He knows how to do that naturally and otherwise. So he he fulfills a need, but he not only does that, he gives the Hornets something they desperately need, which is a player with a high ceiling that, that you know, commentators, people who pay attention to this stuff all over the place, they're like, they're only two or three guys that have star potential in this draft. One of them is James Wiseman. One of them is LaMelo Ball. And then, and then you know, people disagree on what that third player is. But there's not many of them. And James Wiseman is one of them. And I'd love to see the Hornets make that pick. You fall in love with the, the big uh, athletic abilities from these guys as we can go back to last year and bring up your love for Bull Bull as someone that they just don't make Bo-bo! them like that. Bull Bull was your guy last yeah, year. Yeah, but Bull Bull, hold on though. Bull Bull and James Wiseman, not the same. I mean, people were very clear that Bull Bull had limitations. Um, that, that you're just not seeing those same kind of comments about James Wiseman. Oh, well, yeah, yes. I'm just, you, you want the things that you want the big uh, athletic guy that can run and be Mm -hmm. very athletic Mm -hmm. while being seven feet. That's Mm -hmm. what you want. And uh, I completely understand that. It's just that rings true here. Once again, Um, Wiseman going to the Hornets. I do think by the way, Doug, that would leave Cody Zeller a little bit more susceptible to being traded. It would just make more sense, right? Just because you would have another young body at that position. And then maybe Cody Zeller, your guy, would be shipped off and then you wouldn't have to look at uh the screen assist anymore we wouldn't have to talk about screen assist on this podcast anymore yeah and you and you would allow another at least another season 
of Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham playing up front together. I mean, if Wiseman truly is the rim protector that people project him out to be, you can afford to have a Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum kind of thing up front where it's like, okay, they're going to Olay every now and then and let their guy by, but you've got a player down there uh, that can that can come over and make an impact defensively. I think that would be great. I think he has the frame to put on some muscle too. Like, it's not like, you know, it, you see some of these guys that just never fill out. You know, I don't think he's going to be a twig. I, I think he's got the kind tell of frame. He's going to be honest. I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> I mean, I think he's going to blow up. I think you're going to be like, wow, I, I didn't think that he was going to get there. And it's going to be an elite thing. I'm just telling you, Wiseman, I don't think he's going to be there at eight. I think all of these, I mean, you know, respect to all the people in the Delete Eight draft, mock draft here with the Locked On Podcast Network, but they're crazy, especially Golden State taking Tyrese Halliburton five. You are nuts. You need a center. Mm, there we go. Uh, I wanted draft radio Doug to come out and that's exactly Oof. what we got before we end today's show real quickly, an announcement before we end today's show going forward, there is going to be a change in the podcast. It's not going to be a dramatic seismic change, but uh, we are not going to be having Doug on the podcast every single day anymore. This is not going to be his realm every single day. He's going to appear at least once a week, Doug, and I'll allow you to inform everybody else on exactly what kind of thing you envision for your role here on the podcast going. Uh, yeah, listen, I mean, we've, we've seen it so many times in baseball, you know, just amazing starting pitching, deciding, Hey, I want to go try a new challenge, do some relief pitching. I mean, I think a Smoltzy baby, I mean, Smoltzy was a great starter for the Braves and then was like, Hey, I want to become the best, uh, you know, relief pitcher, best closer in baseball. And he did so. And I'm confident I think it was the reverse, though. I think it was the reverse. So you're doing the opposite. Well, listen, uh, you know, I'm a basketball commentator. I don't know anything about baseball, <laughs> uh, but I'm sure you could find an example of that happening. Um, uh, you listen, uh, just go listen to Locked <laughs> on MLB. You. you know the deal. Um, so that's what I'm going to do. Uh, I'm going to come on every once in a while and provide uh, that heat that you're used to every day. I'm just going to build it all up and release it all at once in one day. It's going to be a volcanic eruption of smart basketball hot takes. Uh, so get prepared for that. Yeah, I mean, listen, I love this show. I, I helped build this show along with uh, David Walker and Nada and, and Walker Mail and all of the great people that have been a part of this show over the many years. So I'm not going anywhere. I'm sticking around. I'm just not going to be here every day. And uh, But we've got another – I'll let Walker make this announcement. The person that will be here every day is somebody that I think people will be excited about. It was a familiar name that you just mentioned, Doug. Nada will be filling in for Doug. Nada Edwards, who you can find on Twitter at Nada the Scribe. I'm sure many of you listening to the podcast already know who he is. But just in case you don't, Nada has been working with us, man, for the last couple of years or so, where he was more frequently a part of it maybe a year ago. And then since he got busy and had to leave as far as an everyday role is concerned as well. But now he is be me and Nada every single day with Doug and your usual cast of characters. I kind of like this though, because Doug, as you mentioned, all of those names, we are featuring David a lot more recently, Nada's getting back into the fold. And while you might not be participating as frequently, you're still going to be a part at least uh, what, you know, maybe once a week, but certainly quite a bit. And so we are getting everybody that's really <laughs> launched the show and even, and even going forward, everybody's still going to be in the mix. Nada is going to be the next uh, co-host with me though, as 
as far as us doing this every single day with Doug being a part and being still around, just not going to be part of it. Um, the, the, the days that, uh, every single day, I should say that we do this. Yeah. I'm now the crazy uncle that stops by every once in a you while. Are. And I think people will love me even more than they do now. I'm just bold, bold, bold prediction, bold prediction. I think that's what's going to happen. I don't know if that's, I liked your, uh, I liked your Halliburton and James Wiseman takes a little bit better than that one. That wraps up this edition of Locked On Hornets. Thanks again to Built Bar for supporting the show. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NBA. Have a great day. We'll see you. Go study some baseball. Ooh.